0: It's not a battle that i'm trying to fight because i know that the care and the love is there and that they respect me respect my identity respect my autonomy um however i do understand where some queer and trans folks uh, definitely have to insist on you uh, calling them by their correct pronouns because yeah (laughs) it's like you know emblematic of maybe you not seeing them as the person that they're transitioning into
1: hey it's breaking barriers the diversity equity inclusion and
2: belonging podcast we're here for real talk we're not afraid to go there and we want you to come away emboldened and energized to take action and make change
1: we believe our diversity our differences when joined together by a common set of ideals Makes us
2: strong. When I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying
1: to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity.
2: What up? What up? What up, world? Welcome to another episode of Top Ranks Breaking Barriers, the DEIMB Podcast, brought to you by our silver sponsor, Rise to Greatness. Uh, today's special episode is also brought to you by Imon Communications. I am your co-host, Anthony Erickson.
1: I'm Nick Ford and joy Joy Joy?
3: briscoe no relation to today's guest (laughs) mom
2: (laughs) Mom, this is mom day yeah Uh hey listen folks listen young black female smart making a name for herself from iowa all the way in new york city an amazing human being we have for you today on this call and she has so much going on for herself. Unfortunately, she lives in America, and she lives in a world where she's had to challenge the swords of resistance against discrimination, marginalization, ridicule, and attack by the GOP, right, and uh, and anything else regarding what, what she's decided to do with her life and the choice she's made. One choice she's made in her life to identify as a member of the LGBTQ community and everything else she's done, she's had to fight for. So, you know... We want to talk about that and we're so glad that she's joined us today because we want to learn from from her lens what what life is like being a woman and and living in this world the the way that she she chooses to live. So unfair and we're excited to have her on this conversation today. Nick, why don't you, uh, in fact, matter of fact, our guest today is Jasmine Briscoe, the great Jasmine Briscoe and instead of us reading your wonderful bio, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jazz. Yeah, of course. I'll
0: jump right in. Uh, So my name is Jasmine Briscoe. I'm currently based in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York. Um, Let's see, about myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went to high school in Waterloo, Iowa, where I was a member of the first uh, IB program that they had there. It's the International Baccalaureate Program. program in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, And I graduated from that, got my IB diploma. uh, And then I went on to go to NYU, uh, where I was an MLK scholar. Um, So that was a super cool experience, uh, moving from Iowa to New York, um, and then also going to NYU to really do uh, work in my undergrad degree centered around um, equity. And uh, really, you know, looking at the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. and applying that to all my studies. So I would say that uh, that was a really cool lens that I got to have in my undergrad degree. Um, And so in undergrad, I majored in psychology and sociocultural analysis with a concentration in intersectionality. Um, which is kind of like a weird just NYU thing. I'm not sure that a bunch of other Mm -hmm. colleges have like a SCA program, Mm -hmm. but uh, I I guess I always compare it to like Africana studies meets queer studies meets uh, urban studies, which is what a lot of universities call it, but Mm -hmm. that's another (laughs) topic for another time. Um, And so that's what I majored in. Uh, I graduated in 2020 may of 2020 with the powerpoint presentation graduation um and then oh, <laughs> when i graduated Monday. during
3: COVID. Yeah. COVID,
0: <laughs> yeah. COVID yeah.
3: yeah we thought we were gonna get to go and celebrate at uh really? was it yankee stadium and it was like at home in front of the tv with oh, yeah, man, yeah yes
0: yeah. with the confetti that they mailed us which was cool <laughs> 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 we used it oh, just yes. we did use it yeah, that's creative <laughs> um, And then from graduating NYU, I went on to work in NYU Langone, their Brooklyn Vaccine Center, uh, where I was working on the COVID vaccines um, in an area in Brooklyn called Sunset Park, which is Mm -hmm. historically a Latino neighborhood. So that work there was really uh, looking at vaccine hesitancy in uh, historically underserved groups um, and also increasing vaccine access as well. Um, and also making sure that the research that we were uh, doing to see if the vaccine was safe for everyone was equitable research that included right. black and brown populations. Okay. And then from there in 2021, I went to recover uh, to work on an NIH-funded long COVID study. And that's where I am now.
2: Great. So yeah, Man, that's what, a little
0: bit so, about me. Folks,
2: <laughs> folks, are you hearing her out here? She is credentialed, young woman. So... <laughs> What made you – go ahead, Nick. Well, no, it's sir. just
1: funny because, like, you're opposite of, of one of my kids and my wife. Like, my wife was from Long Island, and now she's in Iowa. So you've on the reverse. And my son <laughs> was actually born in upstate New York. He was in Iowa. Oh, so, wow. So coming? To- I was really looking forward to this because, you know, we yeah. get to talk about some of the New York stuff and how I got lost in Manhattan. You coming know.
2: home? You coming home, Jazz? You coming back home at all? Are you, are you New Yorker now?
0: I feel New Yorker through and through. Maybe – Nah, I don't even know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to get them to move out here. Yeah. That's really what she wants. to have was. a nice house in New Jersey or Yeah. you know, in Queens, No, no, where do I, where do I want to
3: live? Where's the area I want to live? Oh, at?
0: you want to live in Midtown, but you wanna Oh Midtown? no, you said Park Slope. You
2: said yeah. Park Slope. So, okay. In Brooklyn. Yeah. It yeah. was yeah, I was like Yeah, so we <laughs> my oldest daughter got tired of the city. She's in Jersey now. She bought a house in Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. so she just dips in the city, but yeah, they want to, I don't think they're coming home either. So we said, if they start having kids, we're out. I'm on my yeah. way to New York. Yeah, so. yeah. Yep. So, so jazz, <laughs> so can I call you jazz? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> what made you want to get into this space, you know, given your own personal identity, you know, was it something of a coming of age, personal thing, something about your, your personal identity? Choice and then making the decision that I want to study in that area. Kind of, can you talk to me about that journey?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, I think when I was first applying to NYU and sort of sitting down and mapping out, okay, what's the rest of my life going to look like at 18, which is, you know, you don't have to have it all mapped out, but um, something that I was really passionate about then and still am super passionate about now is mental health access in particular for the black community in particular for the black queer community. Um, And so I always knew that that was the end goal and what exactly increasing mental health access for the black queer community looked like. I didn't really know what that path would take um, Mm -hmm. until I got into undergrad and saw that, okay, a lot of people are actually going to work at different research centers. And so I actually um, did some I guess, internships and different psychology labs, research labs, and also different neurology research labs. And I think that's when it started to click that uh, working in research could be a path uh, to pursue in terms of mental health access for for Black communities. And then I think when I got into public health research as my full-time job, that's when I sort of broadened the scope to public health in general. Mm Um, especially because, you know, they say that racism is a public health crisis. Yeah. And just thinking about uh, what I'm passionate about in terms of equity and where I could fit, uh, public health was a good place to yeah. land.
2: In the state of Iowa and yeah. Linn County, I think Linn County was the first county in the state of Iowa to officially declare racism as a public health.
3: Uh, Nafisa did but, too when she was yep. here. Did she? Was it a, good? Yep.
2: Good deal. Yep, yep, deal. yep.
3: Jazz, how do you see that intersection too? Because I'm curious, and we get to have these conversations a lot. But when you talk about that intersection of research and that that is a a, a pathway to support um, queer mental health for Black and Brown communities, can you talk to us a little bit about how that would work or how you imagine that making that connection and that distinction?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, so this is actually good because actually I'm interviewing now and I just talked about this <laughs> in an <Sweet>. interview. <laughs> hey,
2: to uh, all the folks that need to start, we'll, we'll pass this interview tape around for you. We got Yeah, you. exactly, exactly. Um,
0: but I guess in my mind, I see, uh, so I guess when you're looking at policy, a lot of times when they're going to write up policy, hopefully they're looking at research. Now we've seen that that might not always be the case. (laughs) Um, But, you know, um, I guess the people who are passionate about equity work are looking at the research to see what's been done, what's been written, and how this can affect policy. Uh, So for me, if that research that people are referring to, to write policy does not center black, brown, queer people, indigenous people, all of the various intersections if those people are not included in that research then there's no way for the policy to be reflective of those groups and then at that point it's like the policy just doesn't serve us mm-hmm. um so i think that's where i see it as and then also too in terms of um i guess equity and public health we know that black people, black queer people are are more likely because of all the socioeconomic determinants of health uh, to suffer from a multitude of health conditions. And so if um, the research does not include black people in the effort to combat those health conditions, then there's no way that's going to ever come back to our communities to serve us. Mm -hmm. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about intersectionality too, but in a different way. So, mm-hmm. we're going to see if we get your mom to blush a little bit here, maybe. Um, so, go back. So, here you are, young black woman, um, determining how you identify. Um, how, what advice do you have for people out there for how that handles? Like, I, like I have a good friend. His daughter came to him. He remember hearing the story and saying, hey, hey, you know, dad, I like girls. And his only answer was, me too. I mean, what a great <laughs> answer, right? So, so how do, you, how do we get this? Because there's so much, even though it's getting less of a stigma, there's still a lot of stigma out there, right? And how do you, how, how did that work for you? And, and how do you recommend, you know, young adults go through that uh, with the changing times?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think for me, it, it sort of clicked more once I got into college and I was reading a lot of black, queer, feminist writers um, and seeing my experience reflected so much in their experience. I don't know if I ever told you this one, but uh, like books like, you know, Audre Lord's Biomythography, I think is what she called it. Um, what's it called? Not me being a fake fan. Zami, no, it's on my bookshelf here. <laughs> uh, Zami, Re- reading books like that, uh, of course, you know, reading Angela Davis, uh, reading, I'm trying to think too. Uh, different books like about like uh, gender and um, sexuality in pre-colonial Africa Um, because that's sort of what I did my my undergrad thesis about I think that project at the same time not only was it about uh, you know finishing and getting my degree but it was also like a self-exploration project Mm -hmm. as well um, so I guess my advice then for younger people, which I know they're trying to take this away from us, but but it would be to find Black queer scholars and thinkers and, yeah. and read about their experiences and, and oftentimes, especially being in Iowa, where I think like me and my younger sister were some of the only Black queer people that I knew, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's super important to be able to see yourself reflected right.
2: in in those writings. Great segue, and I I, I want to talk about that, and I and I, I don't want to go there, and you, as comfortable as you are, because I think it's important for our listeners to hear from somebody who's had to have walk in your shoes and have this lived experience as a young person coming up in Iowa. Recognize your own personal identity, whenever you recognize it, whether you were eight years old and recognize it or sixteen, whenever. But can you talk about Uh, your lived experience and how you coped with that growing up, understanding how you were personally identifying yourself and knowing what the outside world may have thought about you and your sister. Can you talk about that and how you dealt with that personally? It's comfortable. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. So I I would say growing up and maybe mom, you can attest to this, but I was never really checking for boys like that. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I don't really recall ever being like, "Oh, I have this big crush," or mm-hmm. you know, there are some mistakes in my past, but let's not bring those. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> so you know, for Christmas, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was something that you know I didn't always feel super different about it because I. I know I just thought like maybe this is how everyone was mm-hmm. you know um it wasn't until like I got into I guess like middle school and saw all of my friends like dating people and then I was just like okay well that's not something I'm really interested in like dating in that way mm-hmm. like I'm more focused on my hobbies or mm-hmm. my studies like it, sh- it just wasn't something that I felt like, like I really wanted to pursue mm-hmm. and then I feel like I was probably late high school, college, when I started having access, like I said, to different kinds of stories about um, what desire can look like, Mm -hmm. that I realized that, oh, it's not that I'm like not interested in dating at all. It's just that I'm not interested in dating in this like specific heteronormative way. Mm -hmm. Um, And
3: mom, listen, mom didn't, they just kind of would spring it on me like, oh, okay, well,
0: so I know this the thing,
3: and I'm like, oh okay, oh you
0: too,
2: oh okay.
1: <laughs> like, like,
2: <laughs> and I will I say that, yeah how did how did, how did that how did how that dynamic work though, Joy? Real talk.
3: Um, well, with Jasmine, I would say more so once she got to college and she kind of was able to identify and had the language to communicate what it mm-hmm. was, and then at the same time. I was learning that my middle daughter, who is trans, was trans, and my Mm -hmm. middle daughter didn't have the language to tell me that, so oftentimes those conversations were coming from Jasmine, Mm -hmm. and then the baby who thinks she's the boss of all of us, she (laughs) always was like, well, mom, don't use that, like, mom, you need to say this, and you know what I mean, and mom, think about it this way, so I think... um, I'm a forever learner like I love learning I'm listening to stuff all the time I'm yeah I'm reading I don't read as much as I should now though but I'm audible books podcasts, or whatever have you and so having growing up in that and I always say growing up too because parents we grow up with our kids right We do. so growing up in in that house (laughs) really gray yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) exactly so growing up in that house with with children who identified in such different ways but they were brilliant and smart and and made me sometimes in my way i felt i would feel small sometimes if i didn't grow to understand what they were going through and still different right because we're from different generations or whatever have you but if not having the attempt to expand on who i was so that i can love and nurture them you know i had to work on that and then again we would go visit jasmine in new york and when you go to new york I remember one day I called Jasmine and she was with a friend and I was like, "Oh, you're with the girlfriend? Who is that?" And Jasmine's like, "Yeah." So you can't do that anymore. And I was like, "Oh, oh, okay, okay,
0: yeah. Yeah. sorry." Yeah. That
3: leads
1: right into my question, right? So, so let's let's talk about that a little bit: the pronouns and and use of, of 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 dead names and things like that. And how do you, as an individual, deal with that? Like, you know, not only do you have loved ones that you're doing it with, but also just anyone, right? So so is there a grace you get how do you deal with that
0: yeah i would say i guess so i do prefer they them pronouns but i know with my mom like it's something she's called me my entire life so i try to extend that loving grace to her as you know she's learning constantly growing you know so for me personally with like my family my loved ones it's not a battle that I'm trying to fight because I know that the care and the love is there and that they respect me, respect my identity, respect my autonomy. Um, However, I do understand where some queer and trans folks uh, definitely have to insist on you uh, calling them by their correct pronouns because um, yeah, (laughs) it's like, you know, emblematic of maybe you not seeing them as the person that they're transitioning into.
1: So I always believe that you know, it's, it's kind of like the fool me once, fool me twice thing, but it's like it's like more like a, yeah, I'll give you grace once, once. yeah, I correct you, uh, you keep doing it. You now, if, if it's someone you, if it's not someone who's been doing it forever and ever and ever, to me that just seems like that's where it seems like it kind of heads, but I don't identify so. I can't say that personally. It's just in my head how I would think that. So are you saying in work. your head
2: you would think if I told you once and you then continue to mislabel mm. mis- uh, me, then that would be a disrespectful?
1: Yes. Um,
2: yes. Let me say yeah,
1: maybe, <laughs> maybe even twice. I mean, huh? you know, if it's yeah. old an time huh. and I might do it a month later and you correct me. But if after a while, yeah, are you really making an effort, right? And that, that yeah. to me is where, where I personally feel like, you know, and having family members, you know, I make a real constant effort. Um, But you do, you do see people that make that mistake on the outside or in a business relationship. And at some point you're wondering, are you really making an effort? How do you deal with that? Or is it intentional? I have a
3: question too, because we're talking about on an individual level, but let's talk about like systems, right? Like when systems are set up and policies are set up for if you are... Cisgen, right? Like that's really what it is. And if you identify any way differently, Mm -hmm. everything isn't that way. And so little known fact about Jasmine is we came through Texas and through Iowa. So some of the most conservative states there are out there. So Jazzy, you want to talk a little bit about that? Like those systems that really impact how I mean, again, my middle daughter is trans, right? And so having a trans daughter living in Iowa is almost like being in a state of constant fear yeah. that some yeah. asshole is gonna not take something out on them that and a lot of times I think it's that when they have beliefs about themselves that they really get so angry about how somebody identifies mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. that's another topic <laughs> but but, but yes. yeah exactly yep. exactly yep. and so and so Jazz I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that I mean we we there was we've had a lot of people even around us that have had experiences of abuse or people right. trying to um, harm them and so i don't know if you want to share some of that jazz yeah. yeah of course i mean
0: obviously right now we're living in a time where like every week every couple of days there's some new horrendous anti-trans whether it's in regards to like healthcare, or like public spaces some kind of bill or policy or our law that's passed and um uh, yeah i think it's awful and I mean, I don't know how much I can say on here. Come on, come on to the good. Okay. Go to the good stuff, Jack. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's uh, definitely emblematic of uh, the United States march toward fascism, mm-hmm. and like the last lashing out of a crumbling empire, maybe. Um, Hopefully. Wherein they're looking for, yeah, right. <laughs> 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 wherein they're looking for escape to blame all of society's woes and ills on, um, and, you know, tapping into that, like, inge- evangelical uh, beliefs that the, the right has a lot of the times, um, tapping into those fears about trans people um, to get, I don't know, I guess, more power, uh, people to vote for them. I think that's why they're doing it. Mm. Um,
2: so how do we combat yeah, that, is those really systemic? Sad. How do we combat those systemic challenges that you are re- referring to? How to? What if, if you had a crystal ball, what would what would attacking those look like? What would that look like?
0: I mean, I think one starting with educating people because I feel like you have a lot of people who don't even know. I mean, probably wouldn't even know about like Audre Lorde or any queer trans writers, and that's by design because they're taking all of that out of schools mm-hmm. um so i think education is always a good place to start um and also revolution <laughs> <laughs> overthrowing the <laughs> overthrowing <laughs> the system um that even thinks it's okay to i don't know police what people are doing in terms of like you know gender affirming care and going to bathrooms things like that like a horrendous that that's even something that's up for discussion and in, in public life under the guise of safety but safety for whom right yeah. when we know that the trans kids don't have access to gender affirming care it's not safe for them um because we know that gender affirming care is life-saving so yeah safety but for who like it's yeah we gotta overthrow that mm-hmm. basically
1: you know i, I saw <laughs> something on linkedin a friend of ours posted right i'm curious about your take on this jasmine So, cause I know he, he feels the same way I do about it. And he, he keeps hearing a phrase or we keep hearing a phrase. um, I don't care how you identify. It doesn't bother me. I'm out. Right. Type attitude. And, and of course my attitude to me, that's almost like saying, I don't see color. Right. It's real close to that heading that way. And I'm just curious as, as a young black queer woman, how you see that, that phrase.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I definitely would agree that it does almost feel like that I don't see color because uh, I feel like those people who are saying, well, I don't care what you identify as or like still maybe voting in favor of like anti-trans bills or so like they actually do care what, what folks identify as. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think about this more.
2: That's <laughs> oh, right. You, you mentioned the Um, And, Joy, I thought you brought a good point, is that we talk about the system. Um, There are constant laws continuing to be slammed through legislation all over the country, um, directed at at members of the LGBTQ community. And so my question is, how are you or how how are folks of your age? Because as I think about this and I think about what's happening, you mentioned they're voting the wrong way. People may say one thing and vote another way. How are we attacking, how, how is the LGBT community doing, in your opinion, in terms of attacking this legislation um, by way of education and getting people to vote? If you had to kind of evaluate how it's going or what are some solutions, how are you feeling about that?
0: Yeah, so I think, I don't know, for my generation, I do feel like there's a couple of parties, right? There's people who want to, like, uplift the more leftist politicians, and then there's other people who belong to the party of like, well, we don't even need these politicians. Um, (laughs) But I do feel like there's some, there's some beautiful organizations, like uh, for a while back in 2021, I was going to uh, these Stonewall protests every Thursday. Um, And it was just, you know, a beautiful queer celebration of life. Um, And so I think, yeah, there's a lot of different queer collectives, especially in New York City, who are who are doing really good jobs of like um, going out there, educating people, um, bringing people into queer spaces and, and showing them, you know, there's nothing t- to be afraid of, like queer people are not gonna hurt you. Um, and also connecting uh, queer liberation to other liberation struggles. Cause I think that that sometimes seems like queer liberation is separate than, um, you know, black liberation or the liberation of Palestine or uh, just globally, like it, it's sometimes queer is positioned as a separate issue. And so I think these organizations are doing a really good job of of saying no queer liberation is something that uh, uh, undercurrents all of these different liberation mm-hmm. struggles.
2: Right. How, go ahead, I don't wanna, I got lots of stuff. I got lots of questions. I'm over a pop just a like, question here is like, <laughs> let me, uh, while y'all are thinking, um, when you, you mentioned a couple of times being black and being queer and your studies around intersectionality. So, so we know historically, you know, the LGBT community has not been looked upon very positively in our black community historically. And, and that's been, at least in the United States, in my experience. And so do you feel that, how do you feel about that today? Do you feel it's, it's, becoming easier for, for you as not just being queer, but being black as well in, in dealing with that, that intersectionality. Can you talk about that a little bit and folks, not just you, yeah. but folks that are in your position, generally speaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I always feel like, well, in pre-colonial Africa and pre-colonial indigenous societies, things <laughs> weren't perfect, but I do feel like homophobia is a, colonial import into those countries Um, and the black community specifically being homophobic I feel like is a lot of times to have more proximity towards whiteness more proximity to power Um, especially as we see right now right with uh, all the anti-trans legislation being brought up by people in power uh, they're like bringing that close to you as as one of your values makes it seem like you're closer in proximity to whiteness, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that's one thing, right? Like, I don't think that, in at least from what I've read, in pre-colonial Africa and pre-colonial Indigenous societies, that we had the same beliefs about gender and, and sexuality as being bad. I think it was a lot more nuanced, and it wasn't in the way we see today. Um, and then I guess to speak to like now, I think in some aspects it definitely has gotten easier. Um, like, I guess even with my family, there's things that we can talk about now that maybe 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also in some ways it has gotten more difficult because of, okay, I'm gonna throw some shade at the shade Don't room, shade. but different, so, some black media conglomerations like the Shade Room and all of those kind of organizations on Instagram, um, and then also revoking like access to um, education. I feel like in that way it has made it worse too. Yeah. So like on the one hand it feels good, better, but on the other hand, given the time, all the legislation that's been passing, the different. Conversations I'm seeing on social media, it almost feels like it's worse than maybe it was.
3: Uh, It's it's, a bunch of misinformation out there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: That's it. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe. You were going to say something?
3: No, I was just saying that there's a bunch of misinformation out there, and where before people didn't have quite the avenues to spread it at the level that they do now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been it's been very interesting just seeing that too and how you now, once you, it almost seems like people can unite now where you have a bunch of creeps coming together to, to say mm, like, right. we don't like trans people, whereas before they maybe didn't have access to do that. And it doesn't mean that it didn't exist before, but yeah, now right. with the, the increase of power or the increase of access to information, you where you have more positive things coming together, you also have more negative things coming together. Mm-hmm. and oftentimes. The negative voices are louder, I would say, right? Like a lot of times the people that are like, okay, this is really, this is, I I don't like the way this is going, but you might not be a person that's going to go on social media and do like a campaign on that. Whereas people that have uh, negative opinions or people that buy into the power of oppression, they make time for it, right? Like they're they're not like, I don't got time for it.
2: They're like, I got time for it.
1: (laughs) We got to make time to, to, to back. I agree. Good point, Joy. Um, Well, I'm wondering, so I actually have a question for Joy. So also with intersectionality, I mean, we we know you have a large variety of intersectionality as well. Did that help you feel as, as your daughters came out that to to help understand that some, that, that what they're going through, Um, Yeah.
3: Some it it did. And I also will say divinity, right? Like at the time, I became good friends with somebody that identified as queer and they were having their experience about telling their families and, and telling their loved one. And it happened simultaneously at the same time that my middle child and originally my middle child said that they were bisexual and we were all like, really? <laughs> but we'll go with <laughs> we'll go with it for now right yeah. um and so I think it was yeah just divinity in the way that it happened where mm-hmm. I mean because i'm I'm I like to play young but I'm at an age where I was raised <laughs> under a lot of patriarchy I was raised under a lot of misogyny right yeah. so I, I I was not even though I had worked all these years um in multicultural experiences I'm not immune to that right like mm-hmm. I had been a part of that too and so, having to start to unlearn that you know i think the first thing that happened was because this particular individual and i developed a relationship so that i felt like i couldn't if i care about this individual i had to love them in all of their essence of who they were and not because a lot of times you'll hear like accept and it's like you know i don't ask anybody to accept me so i don't think jasmine should have to ask any like i have to love you and honor you and and all of those things and so because of that relationship I think when my middle child first came I was a lot more ready to be like okay okay this is what it is and I think sometimes too people under when people can't be their authentic selves it does something to the spirit mm-hmm. and so I had watched my child not be able to be their authentic self for a while now and the the relief and release that they experienced at knowing that like i can be who i am and my family my mom they love me right like mm-hmm. they love me right um and they honor who i am and so it it where they had been going through probably a depression where we were even somewhat worried like with they self-harm right. you know we got out of that by being able to love them and, yeah. and assure them and things like that and so i would have to say not a perfect journey though. Right. Like Jasmine, I think you would say that too. It wasn't, it wasn't a perfect journey, you know, I, and I'm, I'm outspoken and I'm a Sagittarius. So sometimes I talk before maybe a filter is there.
2: <laughs> Joy, is that, I forgot you're Sagittarius. Maybe that's why I I I you read sad. your mouth so much. Right? Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm definitely sad. I'm definitely, I'm sad you, yeah. yeah, yep. Yep. I'm definitely um, a sad. And so,
2: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I want to circle back on, uh, Jazz, because the reason I asked that question is, and maybe you can help me and help others that, that could use this help, because we, we know that that's been, an, it's taboo. Generally speaking, like you said, it, it was this taboo feeling in the black community is more colonialized, but it's here. It is what it is. And I've had these conversations. I think Joy and Nick, I may have told you guys, I have a really good friend of mine. And we literally got into an argument last year about his feelings around the LGBTQ community and not thinking that it was right. And I begin to ask him, now well, my friends in a biracial marriage married to a white woman with biracial kids. And what I always try to find analogies, you know, to, to try to, to, to compare, to le- level the conversation. And my analogy has always been with, with folks and friends of mine. And this particular friend I had a serious argument with was that how, how can you feel that it's whatever you call unnatural or whatever that means to you, um, do you understand that people said that your kids are unnatural? Like, do you know that there was a time in America where your kids, because they were of mixed race, were considered biologically garbage? Like, there were white, there were men that got hung for looking at white women, and we lay down with them. They're our wives and our loves because they're humans. And so how can you feel that way about members of the LGBT community, LGBTQ community, whether you agree or disagree with, the way they have identified, but it's okay. It's not okay for people to feel that way about you and your white wife.
3: Though, and I always want to challenge attitude. people. Like why do people think they have the right to even tell somebody yeah. what's natural or not for them? I like, literally I, I always think that's weird. <laughs> that. and, and this yeah. is a
2: guy I've known all my life and we've gotten through it. And I think he's beginning to understand things and we, we talk and I, it was just good that we had that talk, but I know that he's one of many of people in my circle I guarantee it. We don't talk about it a lot, but I guarantee they feel that way. And so, help me. How do I deal with them, folks? What should I do, Jazz? <laughs> should I just cut them off?
0: I was gonna say maybe you have to cut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
2: No, I like, mean, honestly, that's that's a real conversation. Yeah. That's real talk. And I'm trying to I'm trying to be an av- yeah. I want to be the best advocate I can be. And yeah, you know, so yeah.
0: I mean, I'm trying to think, I mean, maybe recommend some books. Mm -hmm. Be like, you got to read up, Uh, maybe sitting down talking with more queer people because maybe that's it. Like maybe, I mean, and if people are homophobic, obviously your family members who are queer, by the way, everybody has queer people in their family. (laughs) Are not going to feel comfortable. Absolutely has queer
2: people in his family. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then I think too, it's, I don't know. Maybe checking him, checking his privilege. Like, like my mom said, queer people are going to exist, whether or not you like it. Um, and that's just what it is. You have to like yeah. get on board or go home. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I don't think black trans women with the average life expectancy of 35 years old yeah. would choose that if it wasn't resonating with them to the core, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I don't think any queer person would choose to be a social pariah or anything like that. Uh, just because like for funsies. Yeah. Um so I guess recognizing that like, yeah. you know, this is who people are. Yeah, I just and try to it's bring not it up. You know,
2: I try to always figure out what is <laughs> what is it in your backyard that you have to look at when you feel the way you do and that yeah, you know, particularly my friends that are in biracial marriages, they're, they're, there's just no argument. Like they're just not. And so that's my, that's been my best, most impactful. Uh, I don't even like to use the word argument, but way to help influence change in, in the mindsets. Yeah. And I, and I hope that my my friend is accepting that and, and really understanding. that I think he is. And, and uh, so anyway, yeah, I was just, that's, that's one of those uh, nerve hitters for me when when people start that, particularly folks, I know that. that is that, he I'm, black too? Huh? Yeah, he's black. He's, that's what I'm saying. These are my uh, black friends yeah. that have grown up. That's what I, my conversation was about. I know that this is taboo in our community historically, and I'm living yeah. it right now with black friends of mine that I've had these conversations with. Um, one in particular that I, I had some serious arguments with about it, you know. And um, I think I've changed, influence, a, a different thought process. But I don't know how you look your daughter in the eye, like I don't know how you look your wife in the eye, knowing that you could have been hung for that 50 years, not even 50 years ago, because I was considered unnatural by the same people that. You know. Anyway, I don't want to yeah. drag. Yeah. And 400 years ago,
0: we weren't even considered people. Yes.
2: Like. <laughs> so. So you yeah. could do that to somebody else, but you don't want it done yeah. to you. You know, it's just kind of an odd. Exactly. Well, I think back
1: the the young gentleman you know we took into our house for a while. Yeah. His mom, because he identified as a as a as a well at the time gay. I think he was trans- gay at sexual, the time. Yeah. Man, be transsexual. Um, his mom wouldn't let him in the house. Yeah. Picked him out. Nick's family took in a, a,
2: a black gay kid at age 16 because his parents kicked him out of the house, you know, and, and that was a, that was an honorable mm-hmm. thing. They
1: y'all to him. Yeah. And it was all because the church said it's wrong. Right. And,
3: and there are so many, like, first of all, and I was at something recently, gosh, where was it set that I was talking about that? Because they were talking about that most of um, the text in the, in the Bible that spoke on homosexuality, were in the Old Testament anyway. Mm-hmm. And 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 Christianity, most of them now follow the New Testament too, right? Because the Old Testament had things about like meat and about wearing skirts and just mm-hmm. like people were like, ah, that's not really where we're at. And so it's so funny how people want to pick and choose yeah. what they want to connect to under the guise of religion. And we can go... We can go even a f- step further and talk about like King James version of the Bible. What is that? That's right. King James's King James version right. of the Bible, right? Revive like, so we times, can times
2: by the way, but yeah,
3: go ahead. E- exactly, exactly. We can go there too, but we don't even have to go that far. We can go just to say like most of the text. Um, it was oh gosh, I was talking to Pastor recently, and they were just saying, Joy, most of that text is even in the Old Testament anyway. We don't most of the followings that right. we follow now are under the New Testament. So that's like yeah. even was a huge point when when people start talking about how you use um, religion to essentially persecute other people and i'm just leery of that because so often we see that right like we can talk about what's going on right now and and i'm not even gonna go there because my daughter and i will be talking about this forever right but even over in in um israel right now with you know so often people use the premise of religion to spew hate Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of religions that hate is a premise of religion yet people use it to to quote unquote persecute other people and so i think we have to get good at address addressing that calling that out right like not letting people who have pulpits to talk about hate-filled things for i mean or if you do no, you're going to have this Sagittarius talking against you, countering yes, against you every step of the
2: way. Absolutely, <laughs> I was defending the LGBTQ community online a couple of months ago. I may have told you this, Joy and Nick and, and um, a friend, somebody I've known, I've known all my life. We're we're separated for a, a number of reasons. Political is very was one of them. But the story, the the short version is, she posted on my page and she said, Anthony, you should read Leviticus. And I don't remember the chapters, but she told me mm. to go to the Bible and read it. Of course, I already knew what she was referring to. So I went to the Bible and I read it, but then I also read the same in the same Testament, the same uh, book of the Bible, the conversation about adultery. Well, her point was that this is unnatural. The, the The Bible says that LGBTQ sleeping with another man or woman is unnatural. And I said, well, it also said that you should die for the affair you had on your husband twice. I said, nope. I don't think you should die, but what you're telling me is I need to go Ooh. by the Bible. The Bible says that you <laughs> stepped out of line. Leviticus she, says you should she, die. She you. blocked you, didn't she? She blocked, she blocked, blocked she,
1: you. She blocked. <laughs> it's kind of a victory in itself, though. But I was, I was dead serious because mm-hmm. we're
2: going to ha- start playing these literal Bible games. People use that thing to kill people. Like, they can choose what they mm-hmm. want. So we got to be careful with that. No, I appreciate it.
3: Slavery, that. people use the story of Ham to justify black slavery. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. there, there are so many things in the Bible that when it comes down to, we, we morality trumps what the perception of what the Bible could potentially, and again, because there's questions about what things actually mean, exactly, all of that. So it's already a perceived translation, Mm -hmm. but there are already times when morality trumps that, yet oftentimes when we talk about homosexuality and things like, well, well not for that, right? Like, don't, don't, yeah. not when you talk about queer, we gotta, we gotta stay strong, but don't talk about adultery. Yeah. Don't talk about when I eat too much. Don't talk about all the other things. And I'm from a person that, you know, again, not even wanting to shape being queer as a sin, right? Because I, I do believe yeah. that people, it's, it's who they are to the yeah. core, right? And so i not even wanting to mirror that and match that. Right. But again, I, you know, again, I've, you guys know this i'm avid i'm always reading and my daughter they laugh because i'm hyper but you know I, I paid into and i'm an arguer that's mm-hmm. something people probably don't know about <laughs> me so like i did i researched the story of him so that if that ever came up i can argue with somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm prepared and locked and loaded to argue about that and so i think those are the things that we have to say we have to push back we on these push back because honestly, a lot of those arguments fall to pieces with just a little pushback, Go right? Ahead. It's like if you pull that thread, that sweater comes across, comes yeah. undone. And I think mm-hmm. where we're at as a nation now is those of us that are like, mm, "What are you saying?" We really need to start pulling those threads right. more.
2: I like what Jazz you said earlier. You know, you're seeing more of a collaborative uh, social justice <laughs> among uh, intersectional groups, right? You know,
1: black mm-hmm. folks and algebra.
2: and and I feel like I'm trying to live that so but uh well I know we gotta we gotta we gotta wrap up here. We could be all day with you Jazz yeah. and uh, I know we, gotta, we <laughs> no. gotta wrap up as we as we as we get to the end here Nick you wanna uh kinda I guess before that is there anything Jazz that that you wanna share as a kind of a last word for us today as we kinda wrap up.
0: Yeah. Thank y'all for having me. Free all the press people around the world and uh yeah thank y'all.
3: Right. So you guys gotta know. <laughs> Her generation, that was coming, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry.
0: I had to say, that's I had, it. had to okay. use the platform. No, that's okay. Your <laughs> that's your That's Taz,
3: we're good. With
1: that. and, and Hopefully, that's done over there. So. And
3: Dr. Wilson is joining us. And one thing I, I want to add, um, Dr. Uh, Ladrina Wilson, and we're going to introduce her in a minute too as we transition to our, our next segment. But um, I was at a summit recently, and I love the way that you honored um, people's experience right now even around that and you took a moment to pause and it was it was so um the way you did it because we were in a business setting where oftentimes people expect that you show up like you're not human and you're not having a very human experience on earth and so dr wilson jazz that's so relevant i think it's going to set a strong tone for as we go into our next segment and I'm saying bye to my daughter Jazz. Love you, love you, love you. Love Thank you, you so bye much, Sweetie. I'll call thanks you later. For having <laughs>
1: me. Uh, so yeah, thanks Jasmine. Thank you so much. And a uh, big shout out to our silver diversity sponsor Rise to Greatness, our episode sponsor I and our other friends at Breaking Barriers, Community Savings Bank, and Tyler Lincoln Barnes DDS. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up, send your questions, comments, suggestions to info at toprankculture.com.
2: Thank you all. We appreciate your time. And uh, everybody, keep keep breaking barriers out there. Keep breaking barriers.
1: Advancing equity
2: is not a one-year project. It's a generational commitment. There are
3: too few people in the world willing to be the domino. Too few people willing to take that fall.